Hello, and welcome to the Free Music Ed podcast. My name's Gannon. I'm Dylan. <laughs> My name is Steven, and Happy New Year. I happy didn't know I was going first. You, you can. <laughs> the big finger pointing at you. Said Everybody that. just stopped and looked at me. I was like, oh. <laughs> That's right. Who are you again? How many seconds did it take us to fail on this podcast? <laughs> like, it's right up front. <laughs> In less than 30 seconds. That's a new record. Uh, I think it was less than 10. Normally we're like five minutes in and then all of a sudden it's terrible. Yeah. We're not beating around the bush this time. We're going to tell you right out from the very beginning, this is terrible. Our New Year's resolution is just to be real right up front, which means it's just going to be bad from the beginning, guys. You're just going to have to deal with it. Probably forever. Yeah. Uh, However, this is actually the one year anniversary of our very first podcast. (laughs) Go team! That's right. So... Uh, the Free Music Ed podcast is one year old. We've had, mm-hmm. this is our 50th episode, and out of those episodes, there's like five good ones at least. Yeah, so that means that everybody who listens to this episode can write us an email and we'll give them $50. That's absolutely not true at all. That's... Don't write us. Well, write us, <laughs> okay. but don't expect anything back. Like okay. may- maybe a shout out. We're not even going to give you our mailing address. You could send me $50. Okay. I'll take Well, we're, we're back, and yes. this is. The topic of today, and you know, you guys, this is this is crazy. This is going to seem like a completely new show because uh, we researched before we did this one. Oh. Yeah, go figure, huh? Right. <laughs> uh, we we looked uh, through books, uh, well, and some internets. Okay, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> books. <laughs> uh, I did have a book. I actually referenced a book while looking at this, and uh, what <clears throat> we're going to be talking about today is musical talent. Mm-hmm. And musical aptitude, mm-hmm. and what those things are, and if they exist, and it's going to get very ethereal. I'm kidding. It's probably just going to be normal. That's yeah, just going to be some old guys ranting. That's right. Uh, mostly ranting. What would be, be best? Because before I did this research, I would have just said, "Nope, musical talent is a big bold faced lie. It's terrible. Don't let anyone ever talk to you about it." Mm-hmm. I would have. I would have. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's kind of easy to say that, especially from an educator standpoint, because you see so many kids that you think they're just not applying themselves. Well, it's yeah. it's not just that. What I see is people that they say the following things. Oh, man, I don't have a musical bone in my body. And you're like, ah, you just said that. And like your voice went up and down, like in this nice acoustical pattern. You've got loads of musical bones in your body, but I bet you haven't spent like 40 or 50 hours practicing an instrument. Right, that's that's what I would tell people. Yeah, I've spent at least thirty five on my instrument. Yeah, like in the last last twenty years. Yeah, last twenty years I spent thirty five hours. hours. That's all you need to be good. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's worked for Pat Metheny. <laughs> but that's what I tell people is you know is once you spend those thousands of hours that you can talk about talent a little bit because well really you put the time into it. If you will put thirty hours into an instrument, if you spend thirty hours practicing, you know, like within a month or two. And you don't get better. Well, then we can start trying to figure out what's going on. But mm-hmm. most people, they like don't ever really try, and then they're like, "I'm just no good." And it's like, duh. Well, in this day and age, also uh, attention spans are a lot shorter than they used to be, and people just don't have the um, wherewithal to sit and work and get better slowly. It is a slow process, and and people don't really have the patience. That's what I'm looking for: patience. Yep. To deal with it as much as they used to, you know? It's it's such an instant society where everything is so quick and, I guess, instant. And so, as a result, since you don't get instant results, so to speak, from practicing guitar for 15 minutes, then I quit. Because TV is a lot more instant than that. And McDonald's. And McDonald's is a lot more instant. 
Actually, our our McDonald's makes you actually pull over and wait for your food every time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the one in town does. Yeah, that's it's not all that instant. It's uh, still more instant than learning to play an instrument, though. So that is kind of mm-hmm. hard, uh, and people don't want to do that. And so I, when people start talking about musical talent, I'm usually you know very very skeptical about any actual physical or genetic characteristic called musical talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really hard for me to dig into and think that. But on the other hand, uh, you start to think about it all differently when you start going through hundreds of students. You know, so like doing beginner band, I get hundreds of students, and you know they walk in there and they do kind of have different aptitudes whenever they walk in. Uh, like you can tell, you know, usually the kids that practice the most get better and get the best. But every once in a while, you will have a student that practices a lot and they get better a lot slowly. Uh, a lot more slowly than what other students practicing the same amount do. Mm-hmm. Like you see different progressions among students that are doing the same amount of work. Uh, and so there there has to be something that's actually there too. Mm-hmm. That's true. Absolutely and true. So I did some reading. And uh-huh. here, here was the book. Okay? All right. These are great big books. Uh, anyone who teaches band is probably familiar with the Teaching Music Through Performance in Band book series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're giant, great big volumes. There's new ones like every year or so. Uh, and uh, lots of literature stuff. But there's a uh, two-book series that's teaching music through performance in beginner band. And so I was just reading this for fun. And they mentioned something in there called the Gordon Institute for Musical Learning. Okay, You can go to their website and read a lot about this, which is what I did. Uh, and it's founded originally by a guy named Edward E. Gordon, who did lots of research into... Uh, musical thinking, basically. And uh, he invented this word called audation, which is like imagination for audio. So usually when we're thinking imagination, we're thinking about uh, words and stories and pictures. But what he's talking about is how do you mentally construct and analyze things that you hear in music. And so that's what audation is. Wow, you know, that's something I haven't really thought about a whole lot before. But sure enough, I mean, you can sit there and play music in your head. And construct it and manipulate it and stuff. That's right. He's kind of smart to realize that and study it. Well, and what he's saying is that people have kind of different levels or different strengths in their type of audiation. Okay? Or uh, some of the examples of how you would use audiation whenever you're thinking about music is like if you're listening to music and you're thinking it and picking it apart, like you heard that pattern and you analyzed it it somehow. Like, oh, that those notes went higher, they went lower. They formed this phrase. Uh, If you're reading music, obviously you're imagining what that music sounds like, another type of audiation. Uh, If you're writing music that you're hearing, well, that means you're having to hear it, analyze it, and then move it down into paper, so like in dictation. Uh, Recalling music from a performance, so like thinking back to, I just got done playing a piece and I messed up here and here, but this sounded really good, and you're imagining that music again and and recreating. That's kind of like memory. Right, but specifically with audio. Yeah, audio memory. You're remembering it, but you're also recreating it in your mind whenever you think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, which would be if you had to imagine music you've already heard and then try to write it down. Or if you have to create and improvise music uh, in some type of performance, well, then it's all that's all audiation. And that's the word. And he made up that word, and I like it. That's a good word. Yeah, word of the day, audiation. (laughs) Audiation. I have some other words to the day, too, so. Okay, Uh, I like words. So uh, the Gordon Institute for Musical Performance has, uh, sorry, what am I saying? For musical learning. Oh. 
Sorry. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm combining sources in my mind using <laughs> my imagination. Uh, and they all have little jingles, too, so it's audiation. <laughs> it's audiated. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, they take and they make tests that you can use to test your students for these different strengths and weaknesses. And what you want to do with these tests is not so much say, you can learn music and you can't, because really all students can learn and get better at music. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're going to want to do is figure out what students would benefit from having some additional instruction outside of class, either because they're hearing things and have really great audiation and might be able to go faster, or because those are weaknesses for them and they're going to go a little bit slower. Mm. And so much about these strengths and weaknesses have a lot to do about when you're a little kid and your brain's developing. You know, uh, playing an instrument is no more uh, or less complicated than learning how to speak. And we use that analogy a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, But whenever you're taking and you're learning how to speak, you're constantly exposed to it all the time. And you hear people and you mimic them and all these different things until you learn how to speech. Speech, how to speak. (laughs) How to speech. (laughs) I know some of us are doing better than others. Uh, Irony in spoken form. Right, okay. (laughs) Uh, So as you're learning how to do all this, you've got that environment that's built around it. Well, the same kind of thing is going on in music. If you're hearing music and trying to reproduce it at the same ages where you're learning how to speak, well, you're building connections inside of your brain that are much harder to build and change whenever your brain becomes less flexible when you're older. Same thing about learning additional languages. That's why kids who learn two languages at home when they're little you know, can speak both languages natively. Uh, and that's pretty an awesome skill to have. You can do the same thing with music mm-hmm. and start to build these things up. And he focuses specifically uh, on the two main ones being rhythmic and uh, tonal. So can you tell the difference between different tones, which ones are higher and lower, and how close can you figure out where those tones relate? And then rhythm, like can you sense, hear, and recall rhythms? Uh, And by doing those different types of tests, those are ways that they gauge those different types of musical aptitudes. Fair enough? Mm -hmm. All right. So if you take this test and you test really high, well then chances are you'll progress a little faster than someone that doesn't test as high inside of your musical training, but everybody should be able to still learn the skill of playing an instrument, those type of things. Are these tests, like, publicly available somewhere? Uh, Yeah, again, if you'll go to the Gordon Institute for Musical Learning, you can order them. Oh. Uh, And they have them, a lot of programs use them. In fact, the Teaching uh, Music Through Performance and Band series, they recommend these uh, for your recruitment program. Are the tests updated every year, or is it just... Uh, well, again, the Institute's active, so I assume yeah. that they update it as they have reason to. But uh, it's a really neat thing. It's definitely something that you should be checking out because we're advising people all the time on you know what instrument they might want to play, on these different types of things. And these aptitudes are something that we want to be thinking about and looking at and analyzing for ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, I really think that musical aptitude exist to some level but musical talent is something that you've built off of that and those aptitudes are kind of a springboard Mm -hmm. of different types yeah yeah and and my research i found that you know you're talking about uh, learning as a child and growing as a child that for music um that golden spot is between four and six years old and Mm -hmm. that's when you can really pump the brain full of this kind of stuff and it's just going to soak it all up and you start building that foundation for having, I guess, what you would call a really good aptitude for music. 
-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's why so many people try to start musical training with children during that age. They start to get them on piano or violin or uh, some type of instrument that a four-year-old can learn to play because, I mean, just their brains are so daggum spongy. Mm -hmm. Picking everything up. And that makes sense it would be that age because that's right before that is when you really start to understand language. And so around four to six years of age is when the the part of your brain that um, does language is much more fully developed and is close to fully developed to to an extent. It's not totally learned, but it's more developed. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a one-year-old can't talk because that part of the brain is not completely developed, but it makes sense. And once that's developed, now you can do more musically and grow in that area. Right, right. Makes a lot of sense. Well, and it does beg the question <clears throat> if that means that, you know, some people, their aptitude is so low that they could never learn how to play an instrument no matter how much they tried. And, you know, that would be a very, very, very rare circumstance from what I'm reading. Uh, just like someone who has musical talent to such a degree that they can sit and hear an entire orchestra performance and then walk out and write it all back down note for note. Well, there's references to people who've been able to do that, but that would be very, very rare. Mm -hmm. As rare as someone who is so unmusically aptitudinal (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, that they can't learn to play an instrument or learn to sing or anything at all. You know, those things are opposite ends of the spectrum, and the vast majority of everybody falls somewhere in the middle of all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, close to some type of norm in the middle of that. And, you know, you you take learning how to play an instrument, and there's different levels. And there are very basic levels of playing an instrument that are dadgum enjoyable, lots of fun, and pretty impressive to people who haven't ever learned how to do it. Country music. Uh Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Someone just turned it off and turned on their country music station. Go cry to Willie. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's not a bad example, but I mean, lots of popular music is just as easy harmonically and rhythmically as what country music is. You know, uh, almost anything you hear on the radio, you can learn to play on guitar with a year of training if you practice every day. Yeah. And that's that's almost everyone in the middle of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody. But there are some exceptions, and some of that is tone deafness and rhythm deafness, which are actual things. Yes. And so, uh, Dylan, you looked up and some research about rhythm deafness, right? Being yes. a percussion guy? Yes. All right. And, You've got to tell us about this. And having run into rhythm deafness several times and having that student that you spend literally years working with a metronome and after years with a metronome, the student can't line up with that beat. They, they dance around it and it's almost like they're not listening to it. Um, but there's actually something in the brain, and they're not totally sure about it because rhythm doesn't, they actually call it beat deafness. Um, that's the official term. And um, it was diagnosed, the first diagnosed case was in 2011, like January, February, March, somewhere in that ballpark um, of a French dude, my kid, or something like that. <laughs> and um, very French. <clears throat> they. Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean. Oh, French name oh, I know. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> They, they put the. Uh, <laughs> it sound like a, one of those horns that a seal honks at the circus. <laughs> oh, good lord. <laughs> and and now, now we're going to get letters from French people. The Music Ed <laughs> podcast does not hate French people. We or country music. I play country music. gigs. That's right. And I play French gigs. I, I don't. I love French gigs. I, I did a French gig once. That was oh, great. Yeah, yeah I, I still find the rash off. But. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
Back to my key. Okay, yes. It, it looks Friend like Michael, business. but spelled French. Um, or Micah, or something like that. And um, they they put um, different kinds of dances in front of him, Latin dances. And um, he wasn't able to identify the beat. And even beyond that, when he was watching people dance to the Mozambique or different Latin beats that they put in front of him, he couldn't tell you whether that person was on beat or not. Hmm. And so he was extremely beat deaf, so to speak. Um, they have no idea how to fix it. They have no idea how to deal with it. Um, but it does exist. I've worked with students before that they just can't seem to get the beat. Now, the students I've worked with, they do get better with time, and you can work with them. Um, kind of like one of my old voice teachers talked to me about how she worked with a, a tone-deaf student that she actually got better over the years and was able to start matching pitch. Now, it was a slow process. Um, but rhythm deafness... I won't talk about that yet. I was going to talk about how to work with it, but that's a different subject. Well, you, you know, uh, what you said, too, about having students that they just they don't seem to be able to line up a beat. Like you mm. put on a metronome that's clicking a steady tempo, and they can't line up with it. Or you put on a piece of music, and they can't clap to the beat. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I guess if you're in any large crowd at a concert, you start to worry about rhythm. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you, you look they out there, and there's... Spreads like a virus. That's right. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my yeah. goodness! And there's there's a big difference between having a lack of a sense of rhythm, and then having beat deafness, and then there's a difference even between those and not listening. Because I know That's there's true. a lot of students that they just don't listen to the metronome and they only listen to their instrument, and then they're always off with the metronome. Those students you just have to teach them how to listen beyond themselves. Well, and that's something you have to work with all students all the time anyway to focus outside of just what they're playing and go ahead and lock it in with everybody else. And that's hard for some students, like really hard. Yeah. But you're right. I haven't had a student yet that didn't get better mm -hmm. through working on it. And most students, you know, over the duration of a semester, sometimes completely resolve it where they're really lining up with the beat. And sometimes those students become the most accurate because of that focus time. Mm -hmm. And I've had several students like that. Um, but beat deafness is so far incurable. I'm putting bunny ears up, audience. Those of you that are watching the video podcast, bunny ears. Um, <laughs> there is no video podcast for anyone who just searched for it. <laughs> ha, tricked you. Now, um, and it's only about 5% of the population or less that has true beat deafness. Kind of like there's a lot of people that claim to be tone deaf, but they're not really tone deaf. They just, they never try. Segway. <laughs> oh, Segway. They are great types of vehicle transportation. I've always wanted to ride one. It would be great. I almost became a mall cop just to ride one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of Segways, <laughs> it, it's all, all, all yours. Sorry. You, you did a bunch of research on tone deafness. Here, I just got to pick myself off the ground for a second from just that flawless segue. That was good, wasn't it? It was pretty impressive. You could hardly even tell we were switching topics. Yeah, I know. My face doesn't even hurt that much. I practice in the mirror. <laughs> okay, have you ever heard... I'm I'm kind of stealing this from another podcast I listened to on oh, this. Oh, no! But I, lo I love these guys, and they mention this, and I, th I think it's great. Have, have you ever heard of a My Way killing? My way, <laughs> no. Like, like, like uh, Frank Sinatra's "I Did It My Way" yes. song, I guess. In the Philippines, and you know, in Asian countries and stuff, karaoke is huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there have been people who have been killed for singing that song really badly, <laughs> and those are called "My Way" killings. Right, like this is an actual thing. This is an actual like, thing. It's legitimate. In, in the this... Philippines, there are people who get killed for singing "My Way" too badly. 
I wonder if that's a tradition we should take up here in America. I know. <laughs> or or the inverse. They get heckled too much and they jump down there and they just, just start murdering people. Like Wow. It's yeah, like, no, it's not it's not super feel, common, I, but it happens. It's it's I I'm guessing that's something that's incredibly rare. Like maybe one person did that once. Um, they said in the last ten years or so there's been about half a dozen. And I, I bet it's just karaoke. You know, karaoke's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, clearly. People can take offense, strong offense to that. So. That's something. <laughs> Good lord. I'm never I, doing karaoke again. I'm going to fact check all of this later after we publish. <laughs> I know. After we publish. Yeah. After we publish. <laughs> so, do you, what, what do you think? You think tone deafness is a real thing? Uh, I do, uh, from what I read. Now, I, I, I would have lied and, well, I mean, I would have thought before that it was just rare. You know, like true tone deafness, like can't hear pitches at all is rare. But I would say not being able to uh, really break down and like notate something that you're hearing, I'd say that's incredibly common because I think that's more of a learned skill. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, not being able to tell which note is higher and which note is lower at all, I would say probably exists, but is as rare as rhythm deafness. Mm -hmm. Which... Is about absolutely correct. Yes. Um, there's another word for tone deafness. The the fancy word for it is called amusia. Gesundheit. Amusia. Amusia. They they diagnose uh, beat deafness in the same category. With, as amusia. Or as an amusia. you can call someone... Like amusical. Someone is amusic. That is a technical term. Amusic. You are amusic. Or you have amusia. Mm -hmm. um, I found two different numbers saying it's about 4% of the population or... One in twenty people is another number I saw, which is five percent. So that's pretty close to each other. Four or five percent of the population they think kind of has this. Mm -hmm. um, what tone deafness is is pitch. You're unable to um, differentiate differentiate in between pitches very well. Now I've I, I read some people who just say no t tone deafness is not a thing, and they are all vocal teachers who are saying this, and they're saying if you can speak. And you can hear other people speak, and you can hear you're you're changing pitch in your voice, and you hear other people change pitch in their voice. You don't have tone deafness, um, and that's probably a situation where you know we're saying that maybe four percent of the world population is maybe a musical to some extent, mm -hmm. and uh, meanwhile a vocal teacher is like, well, eighty percent of the people that walk in and learn how to sing say they don't know, you know, like it's not been it's not benefiting anyone to believe they're a musical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are definitely a lot more people who claim themselves to be a musical, a music, or have amusia. Amusia. That's such a weird word to say. Amusia. Yeah. Should have looked it up on Google Speak. There's a lot more people who claim to have that than actually do. Um, most people don't have this, like, for real. Mm -hmm. um, but here's here's what's really happening. It's It's not that they don't hear the sounds. It's that their brain has a hard time decoding and actually figuring out what it's hearing. Um, some people have amusia actually describe it as hearing pots and pans slam into each other. That's what music sounds like to them. And people who have true tone deafness, when they're singing back to you something that's just absolutely horrid, that's what they hear when they hear other people sing well. Like, their, their brain is just not decoding it correctly. Ooh. And, um, again, this is a very, very small part of the population. And so these people, it seems like they wouldn't enjoy music. By and large, you would think so. It would be that seems like it would be the effect in my mind. Yeah, it reminds me of when they they just came out with in the last few years uh, earbuds for deaf people that actually cure deafness, and that's what it does. Um, is they they hear and they showed a recording 
of what it sounds like a Rachmaninoff piece and what it actually sounds like, but the ear piece can take a note and miss it by at least a third. Mm. And so it gets close to the pitch, and so when they played back the recording and each of the notes wasn't quite what they're supposed to be, the, the ear piece is, what do you call it, uh, transferring it wrong, mm-hmm. um, it just sounds like a whap in a piano. <laughs> Yeah. So it sounds like the same thing, is that? Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, kind of like That's that. It. I mean, it's just it's it's just they're not hearing what you and I are hearing. They're hearing it, but their brain is just totally confusing things up. Maybe it's it's in a way like colorblindness. How mm-hmm. you've got a colorblind person who's looking out there and they're seeing the same lights coming into their eyes that's yours. But their brains and their eyes, they're decoding it in a different way so that it doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. And if you could experience it from their, their viewpoint, it would all seem very weird to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? They, they may actually be linked to each other. Um, they've been doing uh, some pretty heavy research on this stuff. And they've been doing MRI scans on people who have tone deafness and don't perceive, um, perceive pitch very well or rhythm very well and stuff like that. And they actually found the um, arcuate... Fasculus. Uh, Fasculus. Don't, don't ask me to help. Fasculus. We went to college, people. F A C I C U L U S. Okay. Um, basically, that's the bundle of nerves that's in between your left and right brains. Okay. okay. And this is what transfers signal from left brain to right brain. Cool. People who have tone deafness, those nerves are either smaller, and in some people, they're pretty much not even there. They're missing um, a whole bunch of them. And the left brain and the right brain aren't communicating with each other very well. Also, people, um, your your brain is made up of gray matter and white matter. Mm-hmm. Um, gray matter is kind of most of the flesh, and the white matter are the nerves that um, send signal around. That's where all your stuff is firing. And that people who have tone deafness um, also have less of those, less white matter, mm-hmm. or smaller nerves, and just all around their brain in general. Um and that it's actually very much so a brain I don't want to call it a deficiency but a brain issue and it's something that can't really be helped in that small number of people and with with our current understanding of it right yeah now that of course being that the brain is highly adaptable anyway and so who knows what having the right experiences will do for your brain but in our current understanding of it it'd be pretty hard to too Ar- much. Arcuate fasciculus. Fas- Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but you know they've 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 actually um, connected this with people who have problems with speech in general. Mm-hmm. Um, people have a hard time speaking. People have a hard time hearing and stuff like that. And then people um, you've heard of a uh, uh, I forget what it's called. People who don't recognize faces. Have you ever heard of those kind of people before? My mother. Yes. Yeah, there's there's, there's a specific condition (laughs) where you can look at somebody's face, look away, and look back, and you see a stranger. Like, Uh you literally do not have the mental capacity to remember what a face looks like, what a specific person's face looks like. You can remember their voice. You can remember everything about them. Everything else about your memory is fine. You just don't remember what that face looks like. And so it's it's like uh, whenever people are like, "Hey, dude, uh, I don't remember your name, but I can't forget a face." And this is like, "Hey, Stephen, is that you?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, there, and that that kind of hooks with the tone deafness thing, and that there's there's varying levels of tone deafness. Like there's some people who just 
don't hear pitch well at all in any form or fashion. Mm -hmm. There are other people who just have kind of uh, tone memory issues. Mm -hmm. They hear it okay, but then they forget very, very quickly, and they're unable to reproduce it at all um, without, you know, with any time going by. It's just flumping it out, Mm -hmm. you know? And some people don't pick it up real well. Well, you know, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but, like, whenever you study music in college, one of the things you have to do when you first start out is doing, like, sight singing and ear training. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but most of the people that walk in there, they all think they've gone tone deaf, right? Because <laughs> you're, you're having to listen to pitches and try to write down what you're hearing, and you're having to look at sheet music and sing it uh, in the right key and with the right relationship to all the notes. And it's really hard for everybody, even people who've been studying music for 10 years. Uh, it's, there's unique skill levels there, too. But if you're listening and you turn around and they're playing different notes and you can't tell if one's higher or lower or you can't tell that the notes are different, uh, then you're looking at a different thing. That's a, type of, that's a type of tone deafness, probably. Yeah, or you can't even tell what good and bad pitch even sounds like you some somebody plays something out of tune or sings something out of tune and you're just like oh, that all sounds the same to me and i mean that could be a superpower if you go to lots of children's <laughs> oh, recitals <gosh. laughs> you should be an elementary music teacher during yeah. recorder week oh. <laughs> recorder week do they only do a week well it's I... the lucky ones <laughs> the lucky... <laughs> oh man okay so so check this out in the, the france canada and uk they've got some scientists together and doctors together and there's this stuff called um, valproic acid. Um, it's it's a drug that they give to people. Who I thought have... I thought that was what Coke, like Coca-Cola, was made out of. <laughs> Maybe when you said that. Sorry. It's 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 a it's a drug um, that's a mood stabilizer, right. and it's used to treat um, depression, epilepsy, and bipolar conditions. Um, but somehow I don't know how they made this connection, but it actually causes people to score higher on tone. Um, and pitch tests than than people who don't have the drug. Really? Yeah, and I read this whole study. It was really neat. They picked all these random people and they gave half of them placebos and half of them the real thing. And the scores were vastly different. They all had the... uh, Almost nobody in the the groups had any kind of musical training or aptitude training whatsoever. Um, And the people that they do, they kind of split them between the groups evenly. And I mean, it was a really well done study. That's that's weird. I wonder how that all got started. Was they like, hey, I was testing this drug, and all of a sudden my kid got way better at the piano. (laughs) And I'm like, what happened? And they're like, it's the same thing I played yesterday. That'd be interesting to see what the drug does, because I would expect that kind of drug to strictly mess with the hormones. You know, bring a hormonal balance, but it it has to be doing more than that. Well, what they think is happening is that, you know, I talked about those brain nerves and pathways kind of being constricted or non-existent Mm -hmm. and somehow this drug is opening up those highways it's caffeine for the brain yeah it's it's opening up so is caffeine caffeine is caffeine (laughs) for the brain well yeah i was thinking blood vessels but you have a point (laughs) it's meth for the brain it's meth for the (laughs) (laughs) not really don't don't do meth kids trust me just ask my breaking bad's over don't do it yeah good lord You're both fired. So, <laughs> but they're saying it's, it's helping to reorganize the brain pathways and kind of help the brain see things clearer by doing that. Interesting. So say you want to test yourself and see, hey, how tone deaf am I? Like on, on a scale of uh, one to what? Like, huh? 
one to took, one. That, that took me a second. That was, that was good. good. Yeah. Um, there's there's two tests that I found on the internet that are pretty cool. One of them is delosis.com, D-E-L-O-S-I-S.com slash listening. Could you say that faster? Yes. <laughs> well, are we going to have like a link dump on this or something? A, a link dump. <laughs> so we That's what other podcasts okay. call it. So yeah, uh, if, if you'll go to freemusichead.org and click on podcast and scroll through until you find this podcast, then probably we'll have links on there. Okay. I, I tend to put links on things. So that's that's one testing you. I didn't do that one. Um, there's another one that I did do. Yeah, it's on one of these pages. Hang on. Here we go. Ah, jakemandel.com slash tone deaf. And we'll, hmm. we'll put the link in there so I don't have to spell it out. Um, he's an electronic music composer. And so he did this thing. There were 36 examples, and he plays one example, and then it plays something else again and then you have to tell whether it's the same or different mm -hmm. it's very difficult it's a hard test and and i think if i went back and did it again i would score higher mm -hmm. but um you're you're really listening real carefully and some of the examples are long and the tones that he's using are really weird and electronic um and he made it very very difficult on purpose he said excellent musicians score 80 percent um, the average is around like 75 or something. I got an 83.3. Congratulations. You're a which super was, excellent musician. Which was pretty good. But I, I feel like some of them I was kind of questioning whether they were the same or not. Now that I kind of know what he was doing with the test, I think I would score higher the second time. Mm -hmm. Not sure. but For a bonus challenge, try it with your computer on mute. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, Clark can't try it on mute. You might That's right. Okay. <laughs> the the Gordon Institute for Musical Learning that I mentioned earlier, go mm -hmm. to their website too, and I bet they've got some good resources. I'm just I'm just guessing since well, that's their stuff. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and you can read more about what their research is. Of course, you know uh, this is all trying to figure out how the brain works. And if there's one things that we one things, huh? If there's one thing that we've learned about the brain in the last, you know, however many thousand years of human existence, uh, it's that we don't know that much about the brain. <laughs> yeah. And we're finding that out more and more. The more we learn, the more there's to figure out. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, it could turn out tomorrow that, you know, maybe maybe all this is wrong. But so <laughs> far, the research points in this direction. Mm -hmm. Let me give one more recommendation for if you want to read more about musical aptitude. Um, and different approaches to it and just different researches. There's a book called Musicophilia and I don't remember the author off the top of my head and it's a fantastic book that talks about a lot of this kind of stuff in detail and talks about different studies as well. They're really interesting. It's a great okay. book. Musicophilia. Yeah. Musicophilia. Alright. Neat book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, hey, this is kind of exciting and that is that we can announce what the next podcast will be about. Uh, we're going to be talking about a number of different things. Uh, we're going to be talking about like rote teaching and what that is when you've heard about it. And not the same thing, but some you know shared principles is the Suzuki method. We're going to be talking about that and what that's all about. It's not the motorcycle Suzuki. Uh, it's the violin method. That mm -hmm. also they have method for pianos and for uh, flutes mm -hmm. and recorders and things. Mm -hmm. I found out in researching because we're going to make this a habit. Like you know, planning out podcasts now. <laughs> That's right. magical. I know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, and it's been great to have you guys back on the podcast. I've done a bunch by myself and they're not as much fun. Uh, and the, the audience, if they could reply now through the microphones, That's they right. would agree. So thank you guys for being here. I was imagining a fist coming out and hitting me in the face. Okay. That's pretty good. <laughs>
<laughs> sign. Try harder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year, guys. All right. And uh, we'll, you know, talk to you guys in a week or two. Yeah. Keep, keep practicing, guys. Yeah.